This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Do you ever just feel like you're falling apart? Like your physical body is like, I actually got decent sleep last night, which I don't usually get, but then I woke up and the whole upper left side of my back hurts. Yes. Yes. I frequently feel this way. It's because we're in our forties now. Yeah. It's terrible. I hate aging. I hate everything about it except the getting wiser part. I like that part. Yeah, that part's not bad. I mean, I wish I was a little wiser. I mean, I'm not really progressing rapidly in that department. The other thing that I appreciate about being older is that there's there's more of Swans Crossing behind me. <laughs> we are almost to the halfway point. I know. Courtney, <laughs> I, did, I was talking to Courtney last night. She was like, how how far are you into the season? And I was like, well, last night I watched episode 27. And she was like, you're not even halfway done yet. <laughs> and I was like, hun, this is a long ass commitment that I have that I've committed myself to. <laughs> For no apparent reason. For no reason other than I really enjoy doing these podcasts. And by doing them, I mean watching the thing and then talking about them because you do literally everything else. (laughs) That's fine, though. I enjoy doing it, too, because this, my friends, has got to grow up sometime. A Swan's Crossing retrospective. And I am Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. And we watched episode 27 of Swan's Crossing. Yeah, Um, we did. This was a good one, y'all. (laughs) such a good one yeah not a lot of like big action happens in it but we get a lot of character development of some pretty unexpected characters oh do we ever i'm so excited about it i'm so excited to talk about it what were my predictions from last time because i feel i feel like they were not good well let's see here you predicted that uh neil has been captured by the baldies or the fbi guys or possibly barrack you hoped it's not barrack and you really hoped it's not Jazz, because as, as we remember, she has sexually harassed Neil in the past. I think we can confirm that it is not Beric or Jazz. Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty sure about that at this point. Because Jazz uh, walks away from some of the children in this episode. Uh, you predicted that we would still be at the Swans Club, and there would be a big pool fight with lots of people getting into the pool. Sadly, that did not happen, I wish. Man, I was really hoping for an It's a Wonderful Life situation, but it's not to be. <laughs> you figured we would uh, end up leaving the club eventually and hopefully would get some Cali action. I would say both of those things did come true. Yeah. And you figured there would be some writing time with Mila and Owen. Sandy would enter the studio from an unknown door. Alas, no. And no, Mila. No, Owen. Lots of Sandy, though. Lots of Sandy, and it was interesting. And um, you figured there would be a conversation between between Garrett and one of his dads about why he got pushed into the pool on the one night when he was allowed to break his grounded status. Also, that did not happen. He seems 
fine at the end of this, and I can't understand why. That's, He's not even wet. Uh, well, yeah, there's that. But let's talk about the thumbnail. Because yes. on the ShoutFactory.tv epi- uh, episode thumbnail of this, Glory is smiling at JT from her bedroom window. Uh, it's dark out, and it appears JT has climbed a tree outside her house. We've got a real... Romeo and Juliet vibe going on here. I was very excited about it. I was like, maybe this is the episode where they finally kiss. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. No, it is not. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Well, we open right where we left off with the hullabaloo over Sydney's pushing Garrett into the pool. Nancy can't believe it. The crowd is mostly ecstatic, like cheering for Sydney, although we can hear one person say, How could you? My. I love Nancy has the very first line of this episode and I love it. It the line is, did you push him in? Did she push him in? I think she pushed him in. Oh, it's so good. We get so much excellent Nancy action in this episode. It's just my favorite. Sydney storms away from the pool and Nancy kind of scuttles after her. And meanwhile, Garrett is pretending to be dead like he's floating halfway down the depth of the pool all loose-limbed and floppy. Glory's screaming that he has to come up or JT will dive in and get him. And JT very reasonably looks at her and goes, I will. And then Garrett surfaces and says, everybody, I am back. Back from what, Garrett? Also, the yes. birth certificate that you've been holding over Sydney's head is now waterlogged. Uh, supposedly, yes. Also, I'm not sure how getting douched into a pool by your ex-girlfriend is a win. So yeah. he's acting like he just like had a great strategic victory here when really he got pushed into a pool. Also, so, given, you know. given the amount of time we have spent on Garrett over the last two episodes, it's really like he never left, at least from <laughs> our perspective. We fade to commercial. When we come back, Sandy's like, this party's over. Everyone's gone. And I'm like, behind her is most of the cast. She does note, though, that only the second string is left, to which Nancy replies, speak for yourself. Right. Nancy, Nancy invites uh, Sandy to come to Swans for a late night soda or whatever. This is... Sandy. Sandy has possibly... The sexiest line that she has said so far in this entire series, which is, I'll have to check with my social secretary. (laughs) She says it all swanky, like she's really something. Also, Sandy makes some snide remark about to Nancy. She's like, oh, yeah, what? You're getting out here because you have a late night dinner date? And Nancy's like, oh, there is fire in you yet. It's great. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Glory's telling JT that she has to go home so she can run interference for Garrett with their parents. It's like Garrett's drunk or something. Right. <laughs> I gotta get him home. <laughs> He's fine. He's just wet. Yeah. JT has literally no sympathy for Garrett, as usual, and he decides that he's gonna head home and see if Neil has shown up there. I'm I started to realize because the word is used twice in this episode. Uh so Glory asks him why he doesn't just call and he says, Why don't I just send up a groany alert about, you know, getting home after curfew? And the word groany is used later, again, to describe adults. And I realized that is that is the word that they use for adults. The writers yeah. have put the word groany in the mouths of these children. Yes. It's a word no actual teenager would ever say, because it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Stop trying to make groany happen, Swans Crossing. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not. 
Uh, anyway, JT spots Neil's pager kind of under one of the tables, and he realizes the situation with Neil is actually getting pretty serious. Oh, hold up, Libby. <laughs> because on the way down to get the pager, the camera pans down to follow JT bending over. And on the table behind which he finds the pager, there is very clearly a Swan's Crossing production script in a three-ring binder. I totally missed that! It is, ah! it is in the foreground, it is very obviously a production script with, like, tabs and, like... Wow! That's amazing! No, no kid has brought a three-ring binder to this party. I guarantee <laughs> It's so like it was somebody was like, is this is this table in the shot? OK, I'm going to leave my script here. Oh, oh, my God. That's so great. I love that you caught that. Well, Glory says that JT will find Neil because he can do anything. And the sexy sax music kicks in. They, they just- kiss lean or they lean into kiss. Garrett interrupts. And in my notes, I wrote, I swear to fucking heaven if these two don't ever get to make out. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> My notes just say, these two still ain't kissing. Nope. Jeez Louise. So, Glory leaves with Garrett. Saja walks up to JT, notes that no one this evening was, like, with the person that they're usually with. Uh, and Saja, Saja explains that he's feeling exceptionally alone tonight, since any time he drives with Sophia, he either doesn't get there or he doesn't get back. <laughs> <sighs> Sophia is so terrible. She's just such a rotten person. So yeah, apparently uh, she left with Jimmy. So I got to be honest here. Jimmy is on paper the kind of dude I usually go for. Like he's down to earth. He likes to fix things. He dresses like he's blue collar, even if he's not actually. And he's just a hint mysterious. You know, there's a little bit of melancholy about him. Plus he's a wizard. If he were only a percussionist, he would absolutely be my type. But... (laughs) His actual personality as a character is so off-putting that I can't figure out why Callie and Sophia are both sweating this dude. Like, I, he's such an oblivious ding-dong. I Here's the thing. I would liken uh, Jimmy's personality to the culinary, uh, the culinary equivalent of, a, a, like, a, like, a damp noodle. <laughs> he's just sort of flopping around there. Not really doing much on his own. Doesn't really move or kind of sticks to things. You're right. He is kind of noodly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, JT and Saja are having a nice dude bro moment. And JT invites Saja over to play poker since he still hopes Neil will be at his house and they can get a whole game going. And And, Saja agrees. And I, when this happened, I got so excited to see what poker would look like in the world of Swan's Crossing. (laughs) We found out what a lot of things look like in the world of Swan's Crossing in this episode. I have copious notes. So good. Uh, We cut to Callie at the Leda getting off her bike. Or the, what is it? What is the name of the sub? Lita. The Lita. Getting off of her bike. She seems real steamed. There's this, there's this extreme zoom in on her as we get a flashback of Sophia caressing Jimmy's neck. And then through gritted teeth, she goes, I'm not going to care. Oh, and I was like, "Oh, girl, I've been there." Yeah, me too. I've been there. <laughs> Poor Sally. I'm not gonna care. 
Well, now we're in JT's room where he thinks Neil is sleeping in his hammock, but it's actually just Katie, who I would argue she's a lot smaller than Neil, so you should know. Yeah. Like, just for a glance, but whatever. Uh, she doesn't know where Neil is, and she gets JT to give her a piggyback ride to her bedroom, but on the way out the door, she men- mentions that someone called. And I love the music stings uh, as she <laughs> talks about this, because she mentions that the person called for Professor Van, and JT goes... <laughs> Professor Van called? And then Katie goes, no, someone who wanted to talk to Professor Van. <laughs> it's a whole key change. It's so good. They talk about this for a little bit, and Katie lets lets him know that uh, it was there was no Professor Van. She kept telling the caller that there was no Professor Van, but he kept asking to put Professor Van on the phone, and there is an abrupt, sudden fade to black for the commercial. Smash cut to commercial. When we come back... JT and Saja are having their poker game. JT is trying to puzzle out the mystery of where Neil is and how he could just communicate with JT, even if he didn't have his his beeper. Right. And he decides if if Neil wanted to get a message to him, he'd do it through glory. Which makes zero sense, but whatever. He tells Saja to stay here and man the phone while he goes over to Glory's house. Saja says that he's working on a royal flush in his, you know, poker (laughs) hand. He's not. And I want it noted that... To play poker, these two young men have sat on JT's desk, and the card is really not a conducive poker playing scenario. There's not a good place in this room to play poker. Yeah, it's not blocked well for an actual poker game. No. Do you watch, like, do you ever watch poker? Do you enjoy poker? Um, I don't watch it. I used to play it a lot as a teenager because my friends and I would gamble candy. Like we had different types of candy that were worth different <laughs> different amounts of money, and and we would uh, gamble candy. It was pretty fun. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I yeah. see. Here's the thing. I am terrible at playing poker. Like just so readable. But I love watching like World Series of Poker and like poker movies. Anything anything that involves card gambling. Big fan. Big big fan. We cut to Swans, where hip young teens in office wear are dancing to the very quiet jukebox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, apparently they're dancing to what used to be Nancy's favorite song for Dancing with Jimmy. Libby, what song is this? Oh yeah, this is this is one that uh, everyone who lived through the 90s remembers except for Nathan because he lived uh, in homeschooling hell. Yep. And it is Please Don't Go by KWS, the early 90s club jam. I love that this was, like, Sandy and Nancy are reminiscing about how this was Nancy's and Jimmy's song in sixth grade. Like, it's such a ridiculous song to be, like, your romantic love tune. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They go through, like, the different romantic Jimmy-Nancy things, including apparently a lot of name carving and desks. And Sandy was watching all of this go on in sixth grade because apparently she had a lot of time to watch. And it was at this point that I suddenly asked myself, how many episodes is Sandy going to be in this horrible dress for? <laughs> it's a terrible dress. Oh my gosh. But at least so now that we're at Swans, everyone is dressed like her. Like everyone is wearing, except for Nancy. Nancy's wearing a party dress. Everyone else looks like they just got out of a business meeting. Yeah. You know, like so- like you do when you go to Swans. You got to gotta get a little yeah. workplace cash. Sandy asks if Nancy still likes Jimmy. And Nancy acknowledges that even if she did, it'd be a waste of time due to Callie and Sophia. And Sandy kind of tries to bond with Nancy over how things are always getting in their respective ways because she's like, oh, we're we're so much alike. And Nancy goes, bite your tongue. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things. Bite your tongue. Nobody wants to be like Sandy. So cruel. 
Oh, and then uh, they start griping about how easy Mila has everything, like everything she wants just happens for her. And Nancy kind of says, she doesn't think Mila intends to be mean to Sandy. She just never notices her. And then Sandy says, no one does. But not all depressed like usual. She says it like maybe she's scheming on that very point. Mm. Mm. We cut to Sydney at her vanity mirror at home with Garrett's words echoing in her mind. A rutledge turning into a swan. And her mom comes in just in time to hear Sydney say, it can't be. And then she kind of clocks that something's wrong with Sydney. She's like, what's what's the matter? Talk to me. Sydney tries to play it off like she was just talking about bags under her eyes. And then her mom launches into this whole story about how when she was a baby, she had blue eyes. Beautiful blue eyes. And there's a lot of alarms going off for Sydney. Yeah, Sydney's eyes are brown now. So uh, she's like, oh my god, maybe maybe I really was switched at birth. She starts asking about her her birth and her childhood. And one of my favorite exchanges is Muffy says, you ate, you cuddled, you were quite ordinary. And Sydney goes, I was? Like it's the most horrible idea. That to be ordinary. Oh my god! I know. I mean, she she is historically very resistant to any suggestion that she might be an ordinary girl, um, but now I think it's really getting to her because she considers Sandy to be so ordinary. So she's right. like, oh, "Shit, maybe I really am a swan." Just for a second, on the topic of Sandy Swan, I don't think a single other girl in this series is noted to be good at anything. Like, Sandy well, is is known for being good at singing, and the only things that the, like, like Mila was in a television show, but nobody goes around going, oh, you're so good at acting, and Sydney has no skills, Glory has no skills, oh, Callie. Callie, Callie yeah. is good at a lot of things. Yeah, Callie's great at like mechanic stuff, but no one really acknowledges that she's good at that stuff. Like the the viewer gets it, but yeah. the rest of the characters are kind of oblivious to it. In or fact, if they're boys, they resent it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, if if anything, her skills are a social flaw or whatever in Swan's Crossing. And I just. <laughs> I'm just so sick of everybody ragging on Sandy when she's the only person and the only woman who's actually written to do anything. She's got actual talent and she's got like ambitions and stuff. And I like Sandy and everyone needs to back off. Back off of Sandy. (laughs) Leave her alone. So anyway, uh, out of nowhere, Muffy says, why did Grant Booth decide to run against me? This this is noted in, in my notes in all caps as, Abrupt topic transition. Sydney notice, says, you always said booth men are tricky. And we cut to Garrett in a bright blue shirt, totally dry, on the porch of the booth home, because that's the only booth shooting location other than Glory's room. He says his, ooh, I love myself catchphrase, and we cut to commercial. Just in case we forgot what they were talking about with right. the booth men. When we're back, I... Love this next scene so much because Sandy and Nancy are sitting down at a table at Swans and they're having milkshakes. And Nancy says, men don't know what they like until we tell them. And I love the way Christy Barbera, the actor, plays this whole scene because it's almost like Nancy is drunk. Like it has a feel like Nancy got trashed after the dance and now she's unloading all her drunken insecurities and sorrows about Jimmy the one who got away, like, all over Sandy, 
who's just kind of tolerating it. <laughs> We've all had that friend who just gets that way when she's had a few. Maybe we are that friend. No judgment. This is a judgment-free zone. But seriously, it's kind of like Nancy is a sloppy drunk in this whole scene. Like this side of her, no one but Sandy ever sees. And then like only after she's had a few too many shakes down at Swans. This is so good. To give you an idea of what happens in this scene... There is an extreme zoom on Nan- Nancy, uh, and we cut to a, a Nancy fantasy, and a voiceover is happening as Nancy delicately constructs a cheeseburger on a plate in front of her. So Nancy's voiceover is her, I believe, talking to Sandy, and she says, what James Clayton is looking for is someone refined with good manners. Someone who pays attention to the little things. Someone who could neaten up his life. The camera pans back or zooms out. And in this fantasy, Nancy is sitting in Swan's Cafe wearing an apron. And Jimmy is sitting very quietly next to her. I'm not really sure at this point in watching it what is happening. Where did this burger come from? It is... Such a strange and delightful scene, this this fantasy that's playing out inside Nancy's head. Uh it, it it's a meticulous burger. She she puts on ketchup in a perfect circle, she dabs a little bit of relish inside the ring of the ketchup, she folds up the corners of the cheese on his cheeseburger so they don't hang over the edges. Then she passes the burger to Jimmy, who tries to pick it up to take a bite, but she stops him because she wants to cut it first. Yeah. She, like, he's got the burger up to his mouth, and she's all, nah, uh, uh, mind if I cut it? So much neater that way. And I, it was at this point that I texted, that I texted Libby, Nancy's kink is control. She's getting off on, like, controlling when he can eat the burger. It's so great. Jim takes an actual bite of the burger, which isn't usually done on sets because the food typically sits out for hours and it becomes a threat to your health. And he has this look on his face like he has never tasted a burger before. It's like a choir of angels sing inside his head. He marvels that the ketchup didn't spill out, neither did the relish. He takes her hand and he says, no girl's ever told me what to do before. And Nancy says, maybe you never respected anyone before. You deserve it. Nancy scoots into the frame and says, you're not so wild. He says, wild about you. He's holding her hand up to his mouth, like, the whole time, as if he's about to kiss it. And Nancy leans in for a kiss on the lips, and she says, I never want to tame that part of you. And we crossfade <laughs> to Sandy. Right. Sandy, who's like, it's so romantic. So I guess Nancy spoke this whole fantasy aloud to her friend. I told you she's drunk. She's got no filter at all right now. My first thing out of my brain when Sandy goes, that's so romantic, was, no, no, it's not. It's not. Oh, my word, our culture has fucked us up so very badly. They go back to drinking their milkshakes, which I think... Have you ever seen Bugsy Malone? I've not. Okay, but do you know what the premise is behind it? No. Okay, so basically, brace yourself. It is a 1920s noir gangster film about gang violence, but it is all acted by kids like 12 and under. (laughs) Shut up. 
It's really good. And Scott Bayo and um, uh, Jodie Foster is Jodie Foster's thirteen in it. Like she just had shot Taxi Driver, and then she went right into this, and she's amazing. She was such a great actor from a young age. So like, it's really good. But also, it has really weird music in it. But I bring up Bugsy Malone because. Since they used a bunch of kids, they didn't want to, like, have actual violence, like, when they were shooting each other and stuff. Like, they didn't want blood and everything, because that's fucked up. So instead, they substituted, like, pies with whipped cream, and they would throw pies at each other, or they would fire these, like, quote-unquote bullets that were, like, paintballs that would make cream explode on things. So I think that, like, I think in this episode, we're operating on Bugsy Malone principles, where there's something that stands in for something else in the adult world. And I think the milkshakes at Swans are booze and Nancy is sauced now. Yeah. <laughs> She's been drinking too many shakes. I, so Sandy, yeah, I'm yeah, 100% with you. Because Sandy's like, oh, I hope it works out. And Nancy just out of nowhere goes, you know what your problem is, Sandy? You're a dreamer. Uh, Nancy, you're the one who just disclosed your burger-centric dominatrix fantasies, so... Uh, Sandy is determined that she's going to keep dreaming, and she's going to pull Nancy into this. So they close their eyes, and they make a wish, and as they're doing this, Jimmy walks into Swans. Yeah, so when Sandy opens her eyes, she's like, oh my god, Nancy has manifested Jimmy into Mm -hmm. the cafe. Mm -hmm. He's sitting alone at the counter... And Sandy says, okay, you you have to, like, we tried my wishing. Now we're going to attempt your trying harder. So you got to go over and talk to Jimmy now. Yeah, you got to do it. Nancy's, like, reluctant. But then she's like, okay, it's now or never. So she approaches Jimmy at the bar. And her big, her big lead-in line is, hi, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Which he totally ignores. He's such a dick. Completely ignores her. She moves around and sits next to him again and says, Hi, Jimmy. She, like, gets directly in his line of sight. And then he's like, can a guy be alone? Yeah. And there is something happening on the TV monitors in the back of Swans. And I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is? (laughs) I could not figure out what it is. It's a dude's head bouncing around. It's really weird. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. Nancy gives this helpless look to Sandy, who returns the most unconvincing double thumbs up of all time. Like, Sandy looks like she's about to cry just from watching Nancy fail so hard, so it's not going well. She offers to buy Jimmy a burger, and he's like, why? You bought me one once in sixth grade. Who remembers? And she's like, I remember. And then she starts listing off exactly how Jimmy likes his burger. Now, I have been married to Paul for seven years now, and I've been with him for an entire decade, and I could not tell you how he likes his burgers. I have no clue. But when we were younger, our brains had a lot more informa- like room for information. True. You know, and I don't know about you, but I'd sort of obsessed over my crushes. So I guess it works. Yeah, you would probably memorize everything you ever heard them say, including their burger order. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jimmy cuts her off and and asks if she's seen Callie. And then it sort of sinks in for Nancy that that's that's what he wants. That's who he wants to see here. He he mentions that he stopped by the sub and she wasn't there, which is weird because we literally just saw Callie at the sub. Right? What's going on here? She, Nancy says, well, didn't you leave the party with Sophia? And then Jimmy's like mad. He's like, what are you keeping track? So Nancy, obviously this is not going well. Nancy asks like mouths help to Sandy who walks over and says in her most helpful way, well, isn't this just a happy little group? 
I don't know if you notice this, but there is at at the uh, at the counter in the background, there is an extra who is trying so hard not to look at the at the actors. <laughs> like the extra is like looking everywhere but at the people con- having the conversation. It's fantastic. Sandy suggests that she'll play any song Jimmy wants on the jukebox with her quarter. Jimmy pointedly turns his back all the way to Nancy and then says, why not, to Sandy, and, like, walks off with Sandy, and Nancy just sort of trails sadly behind them. Ah, uh, We cut to Callie, who is outside of Swans, and from the... It's dark. It's pretty dark out there. And out of the darkness, we hear, yo, Miss Walker. <sighs> Libby, I do not like that man near Callie. I do not like him in a darkened alley. Nor do I. I do not like that man, Barack. So <laughs> Derek comes slithering out of the shadows from whence he dwells. Or that didn't work. I'm going to cut that later. <laughs> Derek comes. Derek comes slithering out of the shadows, and this is just what Callie needs right now—a little sexual harassment and implied peril on top of her broken heart. He uh, he's surprised that she's here, even though she's afraid of the dark. And she mentions other things other than the dark are bothering her. And Barrick says, like some gearhead we both know, are you spying on her, you son of a bitch? He's a fucking creep, that's why. Callie mentions that she says the only problem she has right now with Jimmy is Jimmy and Barrick, because Jimmy looks up to Barrick like he's some sort of superhero, but Callie kind of implies here that she knows he's not what he seems, and that Jimmy's going to be hurt when he figures out that Barrick is actually a creep. Callie says that uh, he thinks he knows. She's like, she's like, you think you know everything, but you don't. And then he goes, but I will. If it's important, I will. And then you can see in Callie's face, she kind of clocks that he's talking about something other than Jimmy now. Uh-huh. He, uh, he looks at her and he goes, you've been around a lot of places, seen a lot of uh, things. Not that you'd ever tell me, but I have a feeling you've seen things no other kid has seen around here. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, is he about to whip out <laughs> his member what is happening it seriously feels that way like piled on top of all of his behavior and weird sexual innuendos toward callie it feels like he is grooming her it is so creepy (laughs) poor choice from the writers yeah yeah there's there's a little bit more wordplay and then he looks at her and he goes a little knowledge can be extremely lethal and then he tells her to go home and get some sleep and tells her that he's going to put a good word in with with Jimmy for her. Gross. He shows up and makes comments that seem to allude to his dick. Then he threatens her life. And then he commands her to go home. Like, Beric is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> he walks away. And as he leaves, she gives him the biggest stink eye I've ever seen. Fortunately, we cut away from the darkened alley. To Glory in her cute floral pajamas, hugging a stuffed bear and reading aloud from JT's poetry notebook, which has not, I should note, gotten any better. No, it's still pretty terrible. Uh, She hears the thud of a ladder near her window. It's JT. He's climbing up to talk to her. And he has not taken off his sports jacket. I feel that that's important to note. Probably because he looks so cool in it. He looks just dope. She starts going on about how she was thinking about him and reading his poems. He totally interrupts her, her reverie about him, to ask where Neil is. And Glory's like, they have a little bit of a a brief argument, and Glory's like, I'm sorry, but like, I was just sitting here thinking about you, and then you show up, and all you're thinking about is Neil. Yeah, because he's in love with Neil. Glory, come on. You gotta get out of the way. Which he very quickly covers by saying, 
you look really great before you go to bed. And the sax music come, comes in. Smooth, JT. Very smooth. Uh, sexy sax music takes us into commercial. And when we come back, Callie uh, has entered Swans. So apparently she didn't take Barrick's advice. Good move. And yeah. uh, sees she's just sort of in the doorway as she sees Jimmy walking arm in arm with both Sandy and Nancy. They each give him a goodnight kiss on the cheek, and Nancy thanks him for dancing with them as she awkwardly paws at his jacket. Okay, listen. So we've already established that we're operating on Bugsy Malone rules in this episode. So strolling with arms linked with two girls is 100% the equivalent in Swan's Crossing universe of a threesome. (laughs) That happened. (laughs) The girls got trashed on milkshakes. They hit on Jimmy. Jimmy was like, why not? And they... They went and danced together at the jukebox, all three of them, wink, wink. So, yeah. Um, and you can tell, like, <laughs> that's the way this is. This feels, especially because when they each lean in to kiss Jimmy on the cheek, he has this half-embarrassed, half-triumphant smirk on his face. <laughs> so, yeah. Callie, seeing this without a word and unseen by the rest of them, storms out the front door. Nancy is adamant that Jimmy walked them home, but he wants to stay because... And and my favorite thing about this, he says he's really into the music, but it is very obvious he just does not want to spend any more time with Nancy. Oh, yeah. See, again, this is the Bugsy Malone equivalent of, listen, you got to get out of here. (laughs) I am going to hate you in the morning because I hate you right now. I just, I can't believe this is actually happening. It's such an obvious parallel to a sex hookup. You know, the writers were just dying when they wrote this scene. Cause like, <laughs> it's so subtle that all these, all these illusions will fly right past the heads of the kids who are watching it. But when you watch it again as an adult, you're like, that's clearly what. <laughs> Nancy's going on about how she wants to know all the different grades and motor oil and carburetors. Sandy finally gets her to take the hint and leave, and Jimmy looks relieved. And outside, the walk of shame begins. Now, Nancy, I just I would like to I would like to pause for a moment to acknowledge that Nancy's doing her best. Sophia is the queen of the car innuendo, and Nancy <laughs> is just unfortunately not up to the task. Yeah, her uh, her clunkers about carburetors and motor oil don't really land with the same the same uh, weight as Sophia's sexy car innuendos do. No, Nancy. Once they once Sandy and Nancy are alone outside, Nancy immediately proclaims that she feels so stupid and she thinks she won't get another chance to hook up with Jimmy. I mean, to have an innocent date with Jimmy because he's <laughs> too into him. Because she, she goes, he's too into himself to care about anything. And girl. Why do you want him? Stop picking up trash out of the gutter, Nancy. God. Yep. It is. It is dur- during this whole conversation. Callie is crouched in the bushes, uh, where, if you remember from, I think it's episode twenty-four, or no, 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 it was the early twenties. Uh, Sydney was known to look homeless. Sandy tells Nancy, "Oh, you could change that it's about Jimmy only caring about himself." Sandy, no, no, no. Listen, honey. You do not want a man who needs changing. You want a man who has already finished growing up. Yep. Come on. Ugh. You got to grow up sometime, and the time is now. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe Nancy's going to be okay in the end because she says, it doesn't pay to throw yourself at a guy. You just end up all broken. Yes, now you get it. 
Yes. The synth, the synth music comes in. Sandy wraps an arm around Nancy and they leave, revealing Callie crouched in the bushes behind like a gremlin. <laughs> we cut to Sydney's room where her mom has apparently given her a cup of hot milk and Muffy is recounting the day Sydney was born, which was apparently the day of a big flood. Yeah, uh, the, the hospital was filled with injured people. It was very confusing. There was a mix-up between Muffy and Mrs. Swan's rooms. And that was the last time that they spoke to each other for more than five minutes. Apparently, Mrs. Swan is overworked with, quote, all the children. All the children. All the children. Then, Are these her own children? Is she a school teacher? What is going on? Yeah, it's supposed to be that she has a lot of kids. And I think okay. Sandy is one of the oldest of them. So then Sydney goes, they're poor, aren't they? But like she says poor like it's one of the most shameful words a person can say. Like it's up there with the N-word. Yes. <laughs> Just like, whoa. All right. Slow yeah. down there, Sydney. Here's how poor the swans are. Brace yourselves for this heart-rending account of poverty in late 20th century America. Muffy says, well, they have the Swan Trust Fund, but it barely covers the upkeep of the house and the estate. Bitch, that is not poor. That wasn't even poor in 1992. What is this late stage capitalism nonsense? So Sydney asks if they will sell the house. And Muffy, with like a certain amount of pity, says they won't out of pride. It cannot be easy to live like that. Yes, it's got to be terrible to have a trust fund in a huge estate. <laughs> well, the thing that I love about this is how enormous Sydney's eyes get as she considers the horror of only having a trust fund. Thinking about how unfortunate the Swan family is with their trust fund and their estate has lightened Muffy's heart. She says she feels better about her own life now and she'll be able to sleep. But Sydney is more freaked out than ever. And she, she embraces her mother desperately and says, Mother, I love you. <laughs> obviously having a bit of a moment. And Muffy pats her on the back and says, of course you do, darling. Does not, <laughs> it should be noted, does not say that she loves her back. I know, I love it so much. Well, then we're back at Glory's bedroom window with JT on the ladder. He starts to ponder what Garrett would do if he knew JT was there. And Glory tells him to get out of there. He stops to ensure that she'll call him if Neil contacts her. Because J- JT thinks Neil is in trouble. And then as he's like, he's starting down the ladder and then he comes back up and he's like, you look so good. <laughs> JT has figured out what girls like. He, uh, she watches him leave out the window. We cut back to Callie coming out of the bushes. Jimmy comes out of Swans and she rehides. Uh, and I hadn't noticed, this is the only time I've ever noticed this. The Swans doors squeak like it's a haunted house. Squeak. Anyway, he, he steps outside and then stands there for a moment, pondering as if he has forgotten where he was going. And then he finally wanders off in, in the direction of his choosing. But just as Callie is once more about to emerge from hiding, she has to duck behind the bush again because Barrack comes out of the shadows and stalks after Jimmy. He looks around for us to see if he's being watched and then stalks off after Jimmy. Uh, We zoom in on Callie looking after him very suspiciously. Yeah, she's probably asking herself whether Barrack's going to kidnap Jimmy in a scary white van with no windows. Yeah, which is probably what happened to Neil. Cut back to Sydney, who has gone to 
uh, the wall that she used to meet Garrett at. I don't remember what they called that thing, but I'm going to call it the Wailing Wall. Uh, and they I, called it No Man's Land, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we haven't seen the wall in ages. And I was like, oh, they still have the wall set. That's great. She leans against the wall and gives a desperate stare up into the night sky. And this uh, this is one of the moments that made my top Sydney stairs supercut video that I put up. On oh, 100%. The yeah, she yeah. leans against the wall in the night, turns her enormous eyes to the sky, her lip trembling as she contemplates the fate of being poor. And then we cut to Garrett on his porch swing. You know, it's funny. Jimmy had a threesome tonight, yet Garrett is only loving himself. <laughs> Thank you. The, the, I will say the camera shot lingers on Garrett for an inordinate amount of time. And then we cut back to Glory looking dreamily out of the window into the night sky, a smile on her lips. And then the bushes outside her home move as someone moves quickly out of sight. She looks down, startled. Freeze frame. Roll credits. Oh, so scary. Wow. Who is our psychopath of the week? Oh, man. That is a t- Oh, no, it's not a tough one. It's definitely Nancy. <laughs> I was going to say, you got to go with Nancy on this with her weird burger dominatrix fantasies. <laughs> oh my gosh. The folding in of the chat of the Kraft cheese single corners is <laughs> really, uh, I'm never going to forget that. That is an image that will linger. Do you have a swan count for us? I do. I do. We have two new fake swans, including the swan teapot at the Rutledges and the reappearance of the Lita. Uh, making it two new fake swans, one new imaginary swan. Uh, So our imaginary swan count has increased by 50% to three. Actual swans is holding steady at 24. Other swans were at 80. Wow, that's an impressive amount of swans. It is a truly inordinate amount of swans. Give me your predictions. Man, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. I I'm still very concerned about Neil. Uh, I think now that we know that it's not Barrick or Jazz who is made off with our good friend Neil, I think it has to be the Baldies or the FBI guys. I think we're going to get some of that in this next episode. I actually I don't think we're going to get much of Mila or Owen in the next episode either because I think we're very focused on this what is going on with Neil thing. Although Sandy did leave. Sandy did leave Swan. So maybe Sandy goes to Owens and sees. Oh, oh, Sandy goes to Owens, sees Owen and Mila recording from like a place where they can't see her. And she gets very sad and she walks away without saying anything. That's my prediction there. Muffy has no screen time next episode. Sydney is uh, gonna, gonna try and get Garrett to destroy the birth certificate. And Glory, oh, I bet Glory does hear from Neil in some way, not in a way that we would expect, not like a phone call, but like a note or like a more something in Morse code or um, he scrawled a message on the bathroom mirror. I don't know. Saja is still back at JT's bedroom when JT gets back because he is working on that royal flush. All right. All right. Well, uh, I am excited to see how this exciting twisty turny plot plays out next week in episode 28. Good times. Yeah. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song. Gotta grow up sometime from the hit show Swans Crossing.
And if you want to find us on social media where I am making ridiculous compilation videos, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod or on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. Just a and- shout out to to Libby's video skills. The the supercut of Sydney's like far off stairs is so long. <laughs> I did it's- not finish it. I started because- watching it. <laughs> I couldn't finish. It's only a minute and 24 seconds. <laughs> it feels like an eternity. It's not my fault. It's because Sarah Michelle Geller does such long stares. <laughs> You're so good. You're so good. Anyway. Well, folks, until we meet again, may all of your burgers be meticulous and may your cheese be properly folded. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Bye. spill out. Not even a drop. Or the relish. I'm so glad. No girl's ever told me what to do before. Maybe you never respected anyone before. You deserve it. You're not so wild. Wild about you? I never want to tame that part of you. Ooh, that is so romantic.